Well, thank you, Jason Roberts, for being with us today. Um, I want to, before we start, I want to ask if it is okay for me to record this conversation. Absolutely. All right. Thank you. So, um, going back to the project, the Macon and the Akron project, I want to know, how is the problem presented to you when you get the phone call from these communities or some, or yeah, from these communities or these places, what problem did they present to you? What did they say? Hey, we need to solve this. We want you to use your methodology. What problem is it? Yeah. Um, well, there's, there's typically a few things happening. Um, um, oftentimes, you know, it's an area that's suffering from disinvestment. Um, and there's a lack of a sense of place. Um, there's not like a, a, a neighborhood destination. Um, and, and so, and then there's also, we found kind of this, this, a lot of the people that reach out to us, they have a, a general understanding of, of some basic urban design, urban planning principles that they've probably seen from traveling into other cities um, mm-hmm. in the U.S. or around the world. So they'll come in and say, you know, we've seen these great bike lanes and, uh, you know, in Portland or we saw this, you know, these these interesting kind of food trailers being brought in to help activate a, a lot in, you know, Austin. And we're trying to figure out how do we get these things in our own community. So uh, I would say that's generally the reason people are reaching out to us. I mean, often, too, people have seen the work we've done. They've probably maybe seen a, a, me do a TED Talk or something like that and, and then uh, reached out because they, they found there was this they also are dealing with the same problems that we were dealing with initially when we started our work, which was, you know, we just, uh, we were lacking places that people in a community could come together and, and that, that were, uh, you know, multi-use, that were mindful of uh, a mix of age ranges that were making our place feel better and, and more active. So all those things. Okay. So when these people come to you, they, they have seen maybe the project and they say, hey, we want something like this for our community. How do you, how do, what do you do to understand the roots of what the community needs, of what that neighborhood needs particularly? So what we'll do is we'll, we'll meet with, uh, with the neighbors and the residents. And so we try to gather as many folks as possible. So stakeholders, uh, property owners, uh, nonprofits, you know, um, churches, uh, uh, mosques, um, you know, um, YMCA's, uh, um, uh, development corporations, anybody who's, who's, who's there in the neighborhood, and of course neighbors and residents. And we'll start, we'll, we'll gather them up and we'll start walking around uh, the block that they're interested in us kind of helping uh, transform. Mm-hmm. And so we'll walk through the area and we'll start asking, like, what would make you want to come to this place? What, what is it? Why isn't it working? And what would make it work better? Does it feel safe? If it doesn't feel safe, how would we make it feel safer? Uh, does it feel uh, accessible to uh, people to, to walk there, to bicycle there, uh, to take public transit there? Is it connected, uh, you know, to amenities or resources um, um, around the area? Uh, is it, uh, does it allow you, does it have um, small businesses that you could, you could frequent that would, that would give you an excuse to want to return to the area? Mm-hmm. Uh, does it have an AM environment, a morning environment? Does it have an evening environment? Um, what does the public space, the public realm look like in the area? And, and um, what could be done 
to make it uh, to enhance it so people would want to return. So a lot of the questions are, you know, what are these questionnaires of the community asking them, like, what's wrong with this space? What would make you want to return to this space? Uh, what would make the area feel safer? And, and, then, and then so once we, we gather up that information, we start crafting our concept plans on the block based on what we get out of the community. And that's my next question. How is the, 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 the development of the design or the concept plan happens? Because in this case, you are designing a prototype you, that is going to be in place uh, for two days or like in Macon for 10 days, but it's not, a, it's not a permanent project. So what is the difference in this design, in this, this prototyping? Um, yeah, so um, the difference uh, uh, for, you know, what, we, what your question is, why is it different than the permanent? Is that what you're saying? I'm sorry. I'm asking how do you, how do you tackle the start of designing the concept plan uh, for this project oh, I because it is a prototype? Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, so, so what we do is we're looking at the resources uh, and the skill sets and the assets the community has. So if they'll come out and they're saying, you know, you'll oftentimes hear community say, we wish we had a place like to gather and just get, co get a cup of coffee in the morning, so it's like a cafe. And so, you know, we'll put down on this list, you know, okay, there's a, a desire for, you know, uh, you know, a coffee shop or something similar. And, and then we'll, we'll ask, okay, who in the community um, is interested or knows of somebody who has uh, always wanted to start a coffee shop. We're trying to find locals in the area that would be the ones that would actually help kind of uh, implement the ideas that get put in place. So the same thing that the community says, like, we wish we had, you know, more landscaping in the area. So we'd ask, like, okay, where are the landscaping resources that exist in this community? So if you were talking to Akron, they would tell you, for example, Keep Akron Beautiful, uh, which is a, a nonprofit that goes in and helps, like, do tree plantings and helps landscaping projects. So we would just catalog all of these resources. We'd catalog what people were saying they wanted to have, and we would we would basically line these things up, marry these these resources and skill sets of the community together with the desire uh, of what they're wishing to have uh, manifested or created. So we could ask people, like, what's your skill set? And we might have people say, like, I'm a graphic designer, or somebody else would say, I do woodwork. And so we could pair up a graphic designer with a shop or uh, somebody who's interested in starting a shop. Hmm. Uh, we'll also kind of catalog the empty buildings that exist in the spaces around the area and try to figure out, you know, connect with the property owners and figure out a way to allow us access to those spaces temporarily to test out business ideas. Um, and because I, there's a, we feel there's a symbiotic relationship between the private realm and the public realm. Uh, in fact, that's one of the things that I think that gets overlooked and uh, some of these projects is uh, like a lot of the work for placemaking is focused on, on the public realm mm -hmm. without kind of this understanding of often kind of, if you look at like Yan Gale's work, he talks about life between the buildings. There's often also a private realm that, that uh, kind of creates an edge or, uh, or bounds the space, a boundary. Uh, and so how do you make it, First of all, how do you create a symbiotic relationship between the private realm and the public realm? So, and, and how do they support each other? How does how are they both helping each other? So, for instance, if you know there's an opportunity to create a bike lane, for instance, and then people say, well, how are you going to take care of this bike lane? You can talk about the idea of like, well, maybe we could try to install a local bike shop. Hmm. And that way, it actually helps them. This bike lane, and they would be the ones that 
and take care of it. Same thing with a coffee shop. If you decided like we wanted to do a, a cafe seating outside and have more tables and chairs, and there's more social activity happening on the sidewalk. Well, we would uh, you want to pair that with a coffee shop uh, as well. So there's a private realm that would take care of those things and maintain those things and support them. Because again, oftentimes there's not enough funds or resources with the public realm to maintain and support some of the ideas. Same thing with landscaping or trees. Like, how could I get, uh, if we put trees in place, how do I develop a landscaping business or get a landscaping business off the ground in the area that would help take care of these because it benefits their business to take care of these things. Yeah, that makes sense. Huh. And when you are designing this, uh, designing the, the better block face, um, what are traditional features that you, or like common features that you use but that you wouldn't have used if this was a permanent project because it might be too risky to try them out or for whatever reason. What are like the different design features that you include because it is a prototype that you feel like, yeah, this will work, it will yeah. send a message. What features are these? Yeah. Well, I would say right off the bat is through the um, traditional public planning process, um, we often will build our spaces based on kind of our worst case scenarios or, or people's fears. And so I think a community will come out and they'll say, well, we want to do this great bike infrastructure uh, like we saw in, in Bogota or we saw in uh, Copenhagen. But, and so they'll present that in a public meeting, it'll be, but then uh, there'll be a large part of the community that come out and say, well, this we've never heard of this. It doesn't sound like it would fit for our community, and it's, it's probably going to hurt traffic and make it harder for cars to get here, and it's going to hurt business. And so... Um, so they'll end up watering down the idea, and they'll start. They'll, they'll start with like a really advanced bike lane, and they'll turn around with a, with like a buffer. They'll turn around and say, well, "Let's just do a regular bike lane," and then they'll turn around and say, "Let's just put a painted uh, an arrow on the ground that says that bikes and cars can both go here." And so they basically walk, the, the public process can water down um, the most optimal or best idea or option because mm -hmm. they're uh, afraid of worst case scenarios. So what the better block we can do is we can go in. And just, temporary, we can go in and create the most optimal. We can develop like the Dutch style bike infrastructure, you know, that has, you know, cars parked on the left side of the car, uh, of, of the bike lane. And we can create planner boxes that are buffers and we can paint the bike color, uh, and then we can shade that as well. Now those, those might happen in a permanent uh, process, but uh, oftentimes again, it, it's, it's, those are too ambitious or it's too much for me to even kind of picture because of it's not something that they see that exists in the urban design vernacular in their own communities. Uh, so that's really common for us is to go in and be as bold and innovative as possible from the beginning, as opposed to starting at a point where we're, we're just trying to eke something tiny in, if that makes sense, something that's simple. We want, we want to get, go with advanced because that way we recognize uh, when people see the optimal, they'll use it more. You know, bike ridership will increase. You know, people want to linger in the space more. It makes it helps the private businesses that are on the edge as well function better. Um, so that that's the big thing for us is, is the innovation that we can start with. Hmm. Wow, I like the, the fact that you mentioned how you like you guys try to do something bold, something innovative, but coming from ideas from the input of the community. That sounds really powerful. Yeah empowering the community in the, inno yeah. in the innovative design. Um, I'm gonna, I have, I selected five different design features that you, that you included in either in the North Hill or in the Macon project, better blocks. And what I want to ask you is the service aspect of this is, okay, this physical structure, physical infrastructure, 
what is it bringing to the what is the service it, that is providing and the first one is the how about the buffer bike lanes the bike lanes what is the service that this physical aspect provides yeah, in general, bike lanes. That you, well, you guys put a lot of okay. buffer bike lanes in your project. Yeah. So, well, one of the, a couple, they do a couple of things depending on like the community, depending on the. the oftentimes, if the roads are overbuilt, if they're built uh, to extremely wide, kind of uh, uh, with 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 the assumption of like a lot of cities will build their roads with the assumption that population will continue to grow, and then what's happened in some of these cities is they 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 lose an industry, and so there's depopulation occurring. But they still have this really wide roadways that they have to figure out how we're going to take care of this because we don't have the tax revenue anymore. We don't have the, the, the population that's using these spaces, and so it costs us more to take care of them. But there's potholes and what have you. And so, bike infrastructure right off the bat is a is a good way to recapture that roadway and show how it can be uh, uh, transformed and, and and minimize the the uh, the car. Uh, that, that's kind of often being, it's often kind of the force that's making people not want to be in the area because the streets are too fast. It also slows the streets, so uh, cars will slow down in the area, and it creates more invitations for people to be out uh, in the space. So it makes the, the sidewalks work better because it creates a buffer there. Um, uh, the, whenever we put the parked cars on the left-hand side of the bike lane, it actually creates a buffer as well for the cyclists, so, so cyclists will ride it more. Uh, and then what I found too is these wide streets often will disconnect neighborhoods. You'll find that one neighborhood has that 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 they at one point in time they created a large road in between. It will divide the neighborhood and people feel separated uh, by the roadway. So whenever we start to thin that, we add bike infrastructure. Um, it, it it kind of restitches that neighborhood back together and brings them a little closer together and makes the neighborhood feel connected again. So there's there's a few few reasons why we like to do that, but those are those are probably the three major ones. Okay, um, how about when you have like open uh, empty lots, you sometimes put some some plazas for pedestrians and activities, um, and also you have this activity field sometimes where like you know you exercise, do yoga or something like that. Why having these two type of uh, uh, yeah these plazas or activity fields? What's the purpose of yeah, having them? Well, so, so we found that um, that one of the uh, major uh, uh, um, kind of the, the way cities were often kind of formed or, or, or began around a, a plaza or public realm. Um, in fact, there's a uh, you know if you look at like the Spanish had developed something called the law of the Indies when they would go in and they would start a city. Um, um, they would go in and they would take these principles they found from uh, urban design, urban planning that existed for a thousand years, studying old Roman and Greek cities. And so they would they realized you needed to start with this public space, uh, and then you do kind of develop this like this church or this municipal building that would be kind of on the backside of that. And so they would work these two things kind of in tandem. But that public realm was where they would actually start public markets. It's where that everyone could come together and see each other, know each other as a community. It's where they would announce new laws and new rules. And then they'd start creating uh, along the edge of that, that plaza or that public realm, they would create merchant stall, a merchant of buildings. And that way, once they got the merchant buildings going, they could create more tax revenue and they could start developing this, uh, the residences in the area. So, and you see that it's kind of a classic urban design principle that, that exists 
uh, if you go to New Orleans, you'll see it with like Jackson Square, and you'll see it flanked by this small merchant area. But it's in there's St. Louis Cathedral at the end of that. You'll see it if you go to Mexico City and the Zocalo, um, you know, has that same form. It's just a classic form that you see. So we, we studied that. We realized, okay, these are these classic plazas when they're built a certain way. They become the center points for the neighborhood to gather and to meet and to see each other. And that's where the young and the old and the, the new merchants can test out their ideas. So it's, um, you know, I think it's, it's, it's incorporating a quality public space that people can, can come together as a community uh, uh, with, within the block that's kind of within walkable distance of their residences now. Hmm. Interesting. Um, you already mentioned something about the next question, but how about what, what's the reason of having pop-up businesses? Uh, yeah, um, so, um, so for pop-up businesses, the idea is how do we create, so we'll go in and, and again, it's, I mentioned the symbiotic relationship between the public realm and the private realm, but we also found that, um, you know, to get people to come to an area, they often are looking for these uh, these services or products that they can kind of come to and use on a semi or regular basis. And so that's where we mentioned people saying they wish there was a coffee shop or this or uh, or uh, a place to get a beer after work, which is basically just a watering hole. Uh, and, and most communities have these that 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 people can go to and, and be uh, see their neighbors and see their friends. But then we realized, like, well, if you're creating a coffee shop, it really behooves you to develop other businesses that support that. So why don't you look at creating a bookstore next to that? And if you have a bookstore, you can look at creating a bike shop. And then, and then once you start getting a collection of these, and we found like three to five, roughly minimum, um, you start creating this sense of a district. You create this destination that gives people a reason to linger in the space. Uh, if you don't have those symbiotic businesses to kind of go with that space, people will only go to it briefly and then they'll move on. And so the pop-up business idea comes from the fact that uh, we found that it's, you know, people often want to start businesses, but it's the barrier to entry can be, can feel too hard or too high because they, they will say, well, you know, it's really expensive. You know, I don't have the time. I have to get all these products. I'll have to like get insurance and go through all the city permitting. So we found that we go together with a community and we say, well, let's just give people a chance to test their business idea out because right now they're not starting it because of all of these fears, again, worst case scenarios, and, and, and the hurdles seem too high. But if we can get them to test the idea out just temporarily, oftentimes that's enough for them to be like, hey, this really worked. People actually wanted this. This was something that, that people came to regularly, and I could actually see this becoming uh, permanent now. So it's a chance to, to get the community that lives in the area to test out these things. Because, again, we also want the people, the residents in the neighborhood or, or, or close by to be the ones that, that, that uh, are the ones operating these spaces because they have the vested interest in uh, continuing to take care of the neighborhood and continuing to support any growth or development that happens. Uh, in the community. Again, that's, we're also trying to kind of address this idea of you know, people saying with gentrification and people being displaced, like how are we doing extreme placement? How are we taking the people that live in the neighborhood and using them to help activate the spaces and make the great places? So they're the ones that capture any kind of improvement, any wealth that gets generated. They're the ones that are, are capturing that because they have lived there and they have the vested interest in continuing to support it and take care of it. Very, very interesting approach towards uh, gentrification. I liked it. Uh, how about the open air markets or the beer gardens that you guys have? Yeah, that really kind of came out of, 
you know, again, that's the, the beer, the open air markets or the beer gardens. That that's you know, we talk about the coffee shop being kind of the daytime environment. We found that you know, when it's studying like in Germany, you know, there was this kind of they, for 300, 400 years they've been developing beer gardens, and we found it just this great way to use your outdoor spaces um, to gather people and to create that PM environment or the evening environment that can often be missing in a space. Um, and the interesting thing too is you know, kind of the beer garden culture that exists. Uh, in places like Germany, are, are it's not really so much about the alcohol. It's more about you know p- families and, and friends and neighbors coming together. They usually offer really inexpensive like street food options paired with these long tables that are these communal tables where everybody sits at together. So you so your neighbors would sit there and your your friends would come together and and so it's it's not this kind of like a restaurant where you feel isolated. And you're sitting with your three or four friends. This is they're made for people to to Okay. Um, in the overall design, what are the great things, uh, what are the benefits of doing a better block, but also what are the pitfalls of doing a better block, of doing something temporary? Yeah. Um, well, the benefits are we found that it's, it's, we, we work quickly. And so that one of the big things that people, you know, when we get brought out or asked to help with a project, we, we, We've heard a lot of people say, like, well, we've had all these consultants come out, they've done all these drawings, these renderings, but nothing ever gets built. And so they're kind of frustrated. The nice thing is with the better block, we get to come back and say, well, actually, we're going to be back in, you know, um, 90 days, and we're going to be, like, swinging hammers and painting. And oftentimes, that's, people aren't used to working that quickly and seeing this change and this transformation. Uh, I would say just this idea of a thing like, you know, People deserve a better day, a better place in 30 days, not 30 years. You know, hmm. how do we make, how do we bring the energy and time together of people and make a great place? Uh, I mean, the other advantage I think is because the existing public process or town halls can all, oftentimes be these forums for like people to be naysayers or just to say no to everything or be opposed to things. And the better block is a chance for to, for people to say yes to things and to go in and test out ideas as opposed to just venting frustrations, which again, I think I feel like city halls are often places people vent their frustrations. And, uh, the better block, the other alternative that works with the city, but gives people a chance to like, well, show us what a great place looks like, <laughs> and how would you make it a great place? Which is again, it's a different way to have a conversation with it. Um, the, the downside is, that you'll probably hear this with the new energy. It's a lot of work, and people don't realize that even in a temporary project, it requires. Uh, uh, assembling a lot of people, a lot of resources in the neighborhood, it requires a lot of community engagement. Um, you know, it's and it's hard to like when you're dealing with distances of you know 200, 400, 500 feet. You know, you're you're trying to infill. It requires you to bring in a lot of things to bear, and, and, and you know, uh, communities are often they're already struggling just to make anything happen. So whenever you're trying to uh, you know also have them bring as many resources to bear, it can be it can become uh, overwhelming. Yeah, wow. Um, if you if you were called to do this project, but you would have to provide a final design that is going to be a permanent, and you don't have the opportunity to do the better block, which is this testing uh, temporary project, do you think that that design will look uh, will look different? There would be things that you guys wouldn't include because it's going to be tem- uh, you cannot test it. Absolutely. So the nice thing about the temporary is you're, you, you're, you're, 
we don't come in and we don't make this is the way a great place should be. We, we will listen to the community and we design the space based on what they're telling you. So you're using the scientific method, right? You're as opposed to just uh, basing your decisions on abstract ideas or concepts. We're, we're coming in and saying, okay, this is the hypothesis. We think this is going to happen. So, and, and the community says, this is what we need to make a better place. And we'll, we'll build, you know, five, six, seven different things in these spaces. And sometimes the things that the community says that they think well, they definitely need don't actually work, and people don't use them. Right, right. Or maybe they're not, uh, there's something like the, the placement was wrong or the way it's uh, laid out is, is, is not compelling. And so, the nice thing about the temporary is it gives us a chance to kind of be flexible and say, like, look, we thought this worked, it didn't work, so let's go now the next day and let's move some things around and try some new things, uh, new ideas uh, from what we're learning, how people really use these spaces. And so the, that, the nice thing is the permanent design, uh, uh, or any permanent design would be based on kind of what really happens space. Like, so people might say, all the, we need our benches over here, and we put them on the benches over there, and the people don't, don't sit over there on the base. So then, we think, okay, well, maybe we should try to bring up food cart over here, and then if people will use the space, or maybe we say we need more shade trees over here to get vision. Or maybe this, this is just the wrong place for these pitches, so let's move them over to this other side of the block, and then we'll watch and see how people use them, and then we can gather that data and come back and be like, this is where they actually are, people will use the space whenever you use this way, but they won't use it when you, when you put this in place. <laughs> and you just mentioned something. How do you assess or evaluate after the better block happened? Uh, what part of the designs work and which ones didn't work? Yeah, uh, how do we... How do you evaluate yeah, so, that the design worked or not? Yeah, um, so, well, what we're doing is we're, we're, uh, we're we, I mean, we're evaluating it there on, in real time. So we're really trying to see how people use the space. And then um, we will follow up with the community and we'll ask them, like, what worked and what didn't work. We'll, we'll, We'll have our data as well. We're gathering metrics. I mean, we go out and we count people, and we're counting car, uh, you know, we're count, counting, you know, traffic speeds. We're we're looking at, you know, our our, you know, are the decibel levels being reduced in the area? Are people uh, are people lingering longer when we put these kind of elements out? What programming is working and what programming is not working? And then we can present a report based on what our findings are, so that they'll know how to make these, how to build these places better permanently. Okay. Um, let's go to the last part of the interview, which is a um, couple of questions. How is the, how do you feel the city receives your, uh, the ideas before doing a, be uh, a better block? Is there any department of the city that is more prone than others? Is there any department of the city that has more reservations than others? And how do you overcome this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will say, so the, the fire department, uh, police department, and transportation engineers are always the ones that are not big fans. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, and I'll say because the fire department wants their fire truck to be able to move to an area as fast as possible often, so they're a little nervous about the idea of transforming the streets. Um, the police are, are, are can often be worried about having too many people on a place because they feel like that's where problems are going to occur when people are there, so they can be... And that's kind of what can hurt your place-making initiatives, too, because, you know, what we want to do is we want to draw people into an area. And, and oftentimes, well, police departments are doing everything they can to have less people come to an area. And then lastly, transportation engineers, we found they're more oftentimes more concerned with uh, level of service for vehicles, for cars, and not so much for, like, 
they're not making measurements based on how to get more people to use the space, how to get more people walking, more people bicycling. They're more concerned about vehicles moving in and out, well, uninhibited. Um, so those are the three groups that we pretty much continually uh, hear some kind of like uh, consternation from. They'll be often the ones that say, no, we don't want this, don't make this happen. Uh, and so we have to we have to guide them to the process. Uh, and sometimes they're the ones that in the end too, they're just like, we just didn't, we don't, we don't think this works. We're not big fans of this or something like that. Just because, again, it's, it's disrupting, um, it's disrupting what they want to be able to accomplish on, on their end. So, so it's uh, as you probably know, this idea of placemaking uh, is, is some of the uh, things inside of placemaking are very counterintuitive, um, like slowing streets and creating more density. And you know, many cities are going away from those things. Yeah. It was interesting to hear Marisa Marisa Little that she said in the Middlebury Better blog the transit engineer at first had some reservations he wasn't a big fan but the day of building the Better blog he was there painting the the bike lanes and and working and helping yeah. so yeah which has to happen quite a bit we've had quite a few transportation engineers that turned around and said you know like this was this was great we actually now see the value of it because we actually helped build it but but you know we've had others that said. We didn't like this at all, and it just slowed cars, and we don't like slowing cars, or we didn't like how it, it disrupted the streets, um, you know, for the way we want them to use. So it's a it's a mixed bag. Okay. It's usually community value, and they're the, they're like, this is what we want, and, it, and I also once you can kind of get it on the ground and show that it's not the end of the world, um, that's usually enough to make things um, or to give you enough initiative to get things to not become permanent. Do you think that in in the case of Akron that you have done? Two, three better blocks in Akron and a few are in the surrounding areas. Uh, that the transit department and all of these departments are more, they have overcome these, these barriers of, um, you know, like not being big I think fans. So. I think so. In fact, the person you try to talk to, and you may have on your list, is Jason Segedy on your list? He's the planning yes. director for the city. Yes. Okay, so he would probably be giving you some great insight on that because I think. I, I know, I mean, we, I mean, we've had other, we've had different groups that were trying to get bike infrastructure off the ground that because we did the better block, they had said this kind of helped them get things going. Um, so, so again, I think, um, it's this idea of like, let's just try it out. It probably won't be the end of the world. Everyone coming up with worst case scenarios, you put on the ground and people were like, oh, this actually isn't such a bad thing. Um, and, and that, that, that's kind of nice. That, that's, that's a chance for, for other departments to recognize, like, this is a chance for us to get a win. Uh, in these areas, but you know, again, not and not everything gets built permanently. I'll, I'll say one thing that does get one thing that happens in every better block is the social capital is raised in the area. I mean, you always see now the local residents are now know the property owners, and property owners know the city staff, and city staff knows you know uh, uh, residents better, and they're all communicating. So when they have future problems, that they know where to go, they know how to get things done. Uh, but I, I, well, I mean, there's. And so that's so because sometimes you won't see like people will say, well, I didn't see anything permanent come from this. And I'll say, well, you will now this one group like where you'll see like Northville, we did a lot of work, but seventy percent of the block was owned by, ended up being, you know, um, you know, filing for bankruptcy and not doing. I mean, has his business that that didn't do really well um, because not not because of the work we did, just in general, he was just uh, you know a property owner that was that was not really the best business person. And so, you know, when you have one person that kind of owns a majority of an area, sometimes that can hold back uh, um, a space from 
permitting from, from allowing permanent changes to come in. But I do know the city now is coming in. You know, Kyle uh, Kuduchi helped, helped us put together a CDC or several CDCs mm-hmm. in the area. So that way the communities can create associations to allow the changes we did temporarily the better luck to be to continue forward um, uh, from this point on. Nice. Uh, my last question has to do with the afterwards because the the goal is to is to end in a permanent um in a permanent place where the community where the community interacts and the it is a better community so have you seen any changes any any tangible changes or outcomes that have come after the better block i know one of them in north hill for example is the exchange house but it's like a private sector outcome uh, I don't know if you can tell me other ones or more about it, and also legislation, yeah, code, zoning. Like, so three of those projects now have uh, community development corporations, or CDCs, mm-hmm. that were created. Um, and I will say with the Exchange House, that, that it's kind of a mix. It's like a private, uh, it's a non-profit, uh, but, it's, but now the backyard, we are building out an international marketplace, so the refugees in the area will be able to continue to go in and, and start small businesses in the area. And if they work to them to the uh, public markets um, afterwards, they can be hopefully installed into the brick and mortar businesses. So that's one of the big uh, things for that project. Um, I'll say um, one of the more notable ones is, is you know we just did there was Kenmore, uh, and in Kenmore, uh, you know they they've helped. One of the big things I'm trying to come up with is what what is our identity? What should we be focusing on? And it, the Better Block was able to like have them help identify like what their strengths were and so one of the things and you, you'll probably talk to Tina and she'll say like they recognized they had five like recording studios that were all on the block that nobody knew that they had this mini and they also had this you know great guitar shop and these other assets that were based around music so they said at that point like we realized that music needs to be a big part of our identity and so they went all in with that they helped manifest that it you know built stages um, they've since gone in, they cleaned up one of the empty buildings and turned it into a live music venue uh, that has, you know, regular programming and activities on. Uh, and then now all of the recording studios and other groups in the area are all connected and talking more. They've also got their own CDC or Community Development Corporation that got created. Um, so that's kind of, uh, uh, those are some of, the, just some of the projects that have that come permanent out of that. But again, I would say the mix of social capital you know, the city, if you, one of the projects you'll hear them talk about, like the bike infrastructure that we started in North Hill, they've, they've got a campaign that's called Bridge to Bridge that Jason Zegedee may tell you about, which, which is, would go in and actually paint those bike, those bike lanes permanently. Um, I will say that's the tricky mm-hmm. part with, um, you know, with it, even a better block, like the, the private realm can work a lot faster than the public realm, uh, so because the public realm, requires you to have still have ongoing meetings with the community and like to get approvals and funding uh, for permanent changes to come around and so which is why we, we, we learned it was important to develop these associations or CDCs afterwards so communities can continue pushing for these changes to be made mm-hmm. um, but uh, again the, the private you'll, you'll often see like the small businesses that get seeded through the better blocks uh, many will, will stick around, they'll stay on the block or they'll go elsewhere, they'll, they'll turn into a food truck or they'll, you know, one of the projects you'll see in Cuyahoga Falls, we did a series of, of, of pop-up businesses and we brought in a market space, uh, a, a public market, uh, and several of those businesses got brought into a, a, a private market space uh, over in downtown. 
because uh, the property, the uh, the developer saw all these small local businesses and said, "I need to bring them together. I need to help, like, start our own little district." Uh, so that's that's something you'll see in Akron as well. It's over there beside the uh, the mm. hotel downtown. And have you seen uh, any changes in legislation or coding zoning? Um, let's see. I've that's a, that's, you know, that's a Jason Segedy question, actually. Whenever you're there to ask, talk to him, um, I'm, I don't know if he's made any, any uh, policy changes on their end, but, um, but he can tell you that definitively. I'm not quite sure. Okay. All right. Well, that was the part of the 